0: Welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, sci-fi and fantasy author, father of six, full-time worker, homesteader, as well as a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to bring you inspiration and positivity around having a busy life and wanting to chase that author career, even if you have to take a casual approach. For more information about me, my books, and the podcast, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. And here's the show. Hey there, it's Dan Kenner with episode number 101 of the podcast. Today is Monday, December 11th, 2023, as I record this. And we're talking to Tim Fasciola about him writing his novel, his fantasy trilogy, for 10 years. And the process of writing and discovering and getting better developing it to get to a place where he could begin publishing it so we talk a lot about development and all of his learning in the crafting of the actual story and some of the challenges that come with writing a story for so long so you want to stick around for that part of the conversation this week um In terms of updates, I don't have a lot of updates on the homestead front. Um, Everything has been relatively stable for the most part, just uh, keeping the goats happy and alive, as well as the chickens. We are getting a significant number of eggs, which is a great and welcome change to where we were uh, just a little over a month ago, where we were getting virtually none. Um, You know, a couple of the changes that we made was we actually got a dedicated flock of egg layers so that the chickens we had prior to this were we do have some of them still were kind of hybrid they were they got a little bit bigger so they were kind of near the meat size and they laid you know a medium amount of eggs uh, so I think that was part of it we just switched breeds we got strict egg layer breeds which is helping because they lay more eggs per year but then yeah getting rid of those roosters definitely did help so we're getting anywhere from seven to nine eggs a day and that's not enough still so with our family of eight we eat a lot of eggs eggs are usually the easy go-to for meals we use them in our baking and our cooking and all sorts of things so eggs are just really important in this family so we're grateful to be getting this many we'd love to see it more around 13 to 15 a day where possible but you know we're not complaining this is excellent we're actually getting eggs and maybe at some point we'll be able to build up so one thing we do Uh, with our extra eggs if we ever get to that phase during the winter obviously they're not gonna lay as many but when they start laying more in the springtime and summertime we actually store those eggs for a rainy day essentially so we water glass them we tried freeze drying them freeze dried eggs are not my favorite (laughs) save that we'll use them in a pinch they're better than nothing but we generally water glass them so essentially you get some pickling lime um it's, you know, just a, I don't even know what it is, honestly. It's just a chemical of some sort that you put in water and then you submerge them in the water, the eggs. And because they have that bloom from, you know, when they're, the egg chickens lay their eggs, as long as they're clean, um, the bloom will kind of protect the insides. So when you drop them in, that bloom on the outside of the egg will protect it from, uh, you know, anything bad from getting in. So water glassing then preserves them for, I can't remember, we had ours preserved for about, six months to a year before we started using them and they do have a little bit of a funky flavor it's not terrible there's a little bit strange um and they're a tiny bit watery as well but other than that you know they're great hey we we stored probably 12 or 15 dozen eggs that way and it was great because then when our chicken stopped laying for the sun, for the winter or laid not as many in the winter we were able to pull those out of storage and use those uh, we don't generally eat those ones like scrambled eggs you save the fresh ones for that. You just use them in like pancakes or baking or whatever. And they, they work just fine. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in learning about that process, definitely let me know. It's, water glassing is fascinating. Kind of freaked me out at first, to be frank. But it works out great. We love to preserve as much as we can. Four times when, you know, the garden and the chickens aren't doing as well. Uh, Other than that, in terms of writing, I am now at about 65,000 words of Demon-Blooded, which is the second book of the Hidden Heritage, making significant progress on that. I try to write about 2,000 words a day where possible. Um, Doesn't happen every day because life is crazy. Things happen. Uh, But if I can get an hour a day-ish here and there, then I'll keep moving forward with that, which is excellent. Uh, Of course, if you would like to read Dragon-Blooded or The Etcher's Plight, which are completed drafts, you do you can get access to those early on my ream. So it's reamstories.com slash Dan Kenner if you're interested in looking into that. So um yeah, we'll be publishing the chapters early there it, it before I actually publish the book. So early access for all of those chapters, which is kind of fun. Demon Blooded will then follow right after Dragon Blooded, and then so on and so forth as I continue writing the books. Um and in other news, I did have my writing group. <laughs> read darkness incarnate which is the short story that i finished last week actually i think it might have been the week before i did some minor edits on it just because i didn't have a lot of time put it in front of my reading group and they absolutely loved it they said they were a little bit shocked it's a little darker <laughs> than what i normally write not in an inappropriate way it's just there's some kind of more depressing darker themes to it uh, they said they they were very surprised by the ending and that you know and they were about seven eighths of the way through it, they thought, how are you going to resolve this? There's no way that you can resolve this in a satisfying way. And then when they got to the end, they said, that is incredible that you finished it that way. I can't believe you resolved it. I'm satisfied. It was thrilling. It was adventurous. And it was short. So sh- short by certain definitions. It's about 14,000 words. So um, in the document double space that I sent to them is about 47 pages. So definitely not short, short, (laughs) but short for me. Um, I'm really loving this short story writing exercise. I'm hoping to keep up with it maybe once a quarter as I submit it to writers of the future. Uh, I'm not sure how well this one will do, but I personally like it better than my last one. And the last one received a silver honorable mention. So I don't know, we'll see. I won't be necessarily disappointed if it doesn't work out but i do think it's a little bit of a more effective and moving story than the other one the other one was kind of purely entertainment this one is very moving um in certain ways so anyway if you're interested in reading that uh definitely let me know more than likely i'll be adding it to my ream stories or you know my ream account as well at some point so if you want to read that story let me know be happy to share that Other than that, something that I'm planning on diving into more is the AI-generated audiobooks for um, the Lightbearer Chronicles. So I received an email recently that Findaway Voices, which is a distributor for audiobooks, is now accepting uh, Google Play-generated AI audiobooks. So uh, I I need to develop those a little bit more. I would like to eventually have a human narrator for my books. That's definitely the goal. funds wise i need to save up for that (laughs) it's quite pricey reasonably i mean understandably so because it's a lot of work the editing process is quite intense you know i've I've recorded the first few chapters of my first epic fantasy book and tried to edit half of it or or, or half of one chapter really just to get an idea of what the process would be like if i were to record these myself very heavy time (laughs) uh time investment Maybe if you're really good at it, it wouldn't take as long. But due to that fact, I do not have human narrated audiobooks. For now, I will probably I do have the AI narrated versions. They're okay. Um, I've picked three different voices for the different perspectives, the different um, POVs in those books. So I think they work. They're not perfect, like I said. So, But anyway, I I would rather have something for those people who are really seeking audiobooks for my books, at least in the meantime, until I have a human, human narrated book, I'll take advantage of that. as long as i can but other than that yeah nothing else really in terms of updates so we can go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast hey tim how are you doing today
1: i'm doing great dan thank you so much for having me
0: thank you for joining me before we dive into all the fun meaty stuff as an author how long have you been writing and publishing
1: so uh I started writing probably about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started publishing about a year ago, like just entering into what that process is a whole nother beast. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I want to say like, you know, that, that the 10,000 hour theory I've, the writing, I feel like, yeah, I'm, there's a lot of hours sunk into the writing, the publishing side. It's a whole other monster. And I am, Very much a newbie, and I feel like a newbie. And and I guess there's always a, a childlike wonder in approaching everything with a beginner mindset. So 10 years, but I'm still a beginner.
0: Well, I totally understand how that is. You've been technically writing longer than myself. I think I started writing in 2018, formally. Um, just based on a challenge so let's talk about why you got into writing originally so is this something you've always wanted to do or was there just like a just like a passion passion project that it started with
1: so answer is twofold um one if you would have asked me in high school like what is a bucket list thing you want to do um i would have had three i wanted to learn to play guitar Mm i wanted to learn how to dance and i wanted to write a book um Why, I don't I don't know. It's just like that was I remember saying that to someone. Um, but um when uh I did learn to play guitar, I was in a band, uh the band broke up. And it was after the band broke up and I did a lot of like the lyrics and I I wrote a lot of the songs and I missed that creative element. Um and it was post-college, um entering the workforce, I was working like 70 80 hours a week i was working six to seven days a week um and i was just like my brain when i would sleep would just like fireworks mm-hmm. of stuff and it was actually one of my clients who said are you a creative person and i was like i don't know i guess I'm like sure. Uh, she's like, you probably just need a creative outlet. So I was like, what's something easy that I can do by myself? And I stumbled upon writing. <laughs> and now I look back and go, that was the dumbest moment in my life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was something I could do on my own. I couldn't. I thought it was something that would be easy. I couldn't. Um, it definitely wasn't something that uh, I picked up quickly. Um, but it, it very, very much so became a a passion project that uh, once I sank my teeth into, I wasn't going to let go of. So uh, it just kind of spiraled and developed and spiraled and developed and became this uh, huge part of my life.
0: Uh, yes, I think it's funny that you, I know, I know you use quotation marks, but definitely not easy writing <laughs> far from easy but i mean i hear what you're saying i think there's a lot of people that are they have this idea that hey creative outlet i'll just create stories i like telling stories i like reading i'll just write one down well it's much easier said than done but i'm curious to know about your journey because writing a single series as a trilogy that you've been working on for 10 years is quite a feat. I hardly have patience to work on one trilogy for like three years. So I'm curious to know, what did that look like? Was this constant writing? Where was it because of work that you weren't able to write as much? What was kind of that journey over that 10 years that ultimately led you to here?
1: Sure. Um, So my, the first three years was the drafting of the was, was the first draft, the first three years. That's how long it took me to even put pen to paper enough to create a first draft. Um, granted that first draft was 278,000 words, granted that, uh, I was still working an incredible amount of hours, um, in the fitness industry. So, um, I, I would maybe write a couple hours a week. Like I'm talking two to three hours a week. I'd try to get through like a chapter and um a chapter a week i didn't most more often than not um that first three years was just the first draft then i was like well what do i do now i sent it off to a developmental editor that developmental editor was like this is great um rewrite (laughs) because like i just there were so many things i wasn't even like aware to be aware of you know what i mean um so she very like very much took me under her wing and I, I I got a lot of education on you know what it means to tell a story and what are the uh the building blocks of story and how to how to use this color palette and, and, and like create a painting with it. So um I spent the next two years more invested in the craft of writing and then kind of went back and rewrote. The book, <laughs> um, and the other assignment she had given me was uh, cut it in half, because I, at at the time my goal was traditional publishing. She's like, "Does anyone know your name?" Like, no, 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 my name. I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have a hard time selling a you know, nearly three hundred thousand word book in today's market. And granted, you know this is about five years ago, so twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, the way the publishing industry was trending was books were getting shorter, um, uh, advances were getting smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a little less leash with what was working, um, in terms of what was selling well at market. And, um, so I was like, okay, I'll buy into that. Uh, so I cut it in half, which was a, uh, really interesting mm-hmm. editing process, um, And then around 2020 was when I started like actually pitching book one. Um, I think I had spent a little time in the query trenches a little before that. And then like quickly was like, I don't know how to write a query letter. And then went back and tried to figure out how do I write it? How do I Mm -hmm. like I invested in the next craft? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still didn't, that wasn't working for me. So um, it wasn't until. um, So I queried in 2020, um, Hated that, among other things that happened in 2020. Um, I actually did get a um, a traditional publishing offer. It was through a, oh, I did like the virtual Writers Digest conference, right? Mm-hmm. And they had like a virtual pitch session. And I was so nervous for this. And um, well, someone ended up getting back to me at this virtual pitch session. Um, they were interested in publishing the book. I researched the the publishing company um everything was normal i guess like it was it was it was not like a predatory company but at the same time i just felt this like twisting like in my gut that like this just doesn't feel right for me um and i actually spoke with my editor about it being like what should i even what i don't even know what questions to ask i don't even know how to approach this you know, this aspect of the industry. Um, And through talking um, with her, I ended up deciding this is not. This isn't it for me. This isn't the way it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, I decided, okay, I the the big reason why that felt wrong to me was um, the concept of I spent all these years writing it. And now I have a two-year contract to get you book two. What if I can't do it? Or what if I can't do it the way I want to do it? Or what if Mm -hmm. I do it, but I'm not happy with it, but now I'm stuck because I'm on contract. Book three. Um, And uh, Michael J. Sullivan was a very popular uh, fantasy author now, but like once upon a time, um his his stuff he tried pitching it didn't get picked up he ended up writing the whole thing for his family He put stories to his family and his wife was like Now oh, this is too good not to like put it out to the world and she ended up pitching it. um no she didn't pitch she
2: I think it cut out there for a second. Can you hear me? All right.
1: I can hear you. Uh, Perfect. We're back.
0: We're um, back. It's all good.
1: Um, How much did you, where did I, you were
0: getting into someone was pitching and then he said she didn't pitch. And then it kind of cut out. about oh, there, okay.
1: so. Um, But like his, his wife ended up being the one to like self publish it. It did very well. It ended up getting picked up by orbit books, a huge mm-hmm. publisher. Um, and I, I remember reading the books and I was like, this, this is good. Book one, good. Book two, good. Book three, good. Book four, good. Book five, good. Book six. The ending slapped me so hard that I was just like every, every it's littered with Easter eggs throughout. And I was just like, how did this author do it? And then I went back and learned the story that he wrote the whole thing. Then it got published. So he went back and tweaked everything to create the ending in such a cathartic way. You know, like it could, if he had published book one and then it was like, now give us book two, that never would have turned out the way it turned out. Once I got that in my head, I was like, I I think I need to write the whole thing first before I publish any of it. Um, And once I got fixated on that idea, I couldn't let it go. So, um, then in 2020, beginning of 2022, I decided, okay, I'm going to write the next two books. Um, and the most, um, obviously like, life has changed. I was telling you, um, off air, like gym owner, gym closed during, uh, the pandemic turned virtual much more time, no commute much more manageable, uh, better energy. So I was able to commit more to my writing more consistently. And I wrote um the second book in I outlined it in a month and then I wrote it in three months. And then I did the same thing with book three. So I wrote like three hundred thousand published words, like publishable words over the course of a year, which for me was amazing considering it took me like three years to write the first um the first book um and as that was kind of coming together it was just like i i'm now able to go back once i finished pr- drafting book three i went back to book one and was like okay am i am i setting up for this the way i want to set up for it am i um sprinkling the seeds that will eventually grow and blossom and flourish um and and give the rereadability of a story like I love a story that has so many details that like, oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on this the first time through. Um, And that's probably why I wrote a 300,000 word book in the the first draft in the first place. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been a long, (laughs) a long, not easy journey, but a very fulfilling one.
0: Well, it's interesting to hear because it's great to hear the context. You know, you hear someone say they've been working on a series or books for, you know, 10 years. But in reality, it wasn't technically, you know, just the breakdown of it all. You wrote the second and the third book very, very quickly by nature of life changes and everything. So it's just cool. It's here to hear it's encouraging because there's a lot of people out there like you who are maybe feeling discouraged because they've been writing this book forever. And they're like, am I ever going to finish this? Or this is supposed to be a six book series. I'm still only on the first book. Like circumstances change, things change, your strategy may change. I also didn't query because I hated it. Um, I, I wrote exactly two query letters. And I said, I don't want to waste my time on this. I just don't care. And so I just didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. Traditional publishing, this isn't for me, unless, you know, one of my books were to get picked up after publish, which I'd be fine with. But I, I'm not going to be writing agents. So I understand that on that front. But I'm curious to know because you're speaking to someone who dislikes the editing process significantly. I don't like editing. It is something that my brain does not handle well. It's easier for me just to pick up a new story. So how did you keep organized enough to come back through your books and make the changes to match the rest of your series once you finished two and three?
1: Uh, so many times. So I am a very heavy plotter. Um, so that that comes, um, I say that first and foremost because from a structural standpoint, the like I actually I struggle with drafting. Drafting is the hard part for me, and then the um, the once I have that first draft, I love plotting. Drafting is work. The revision process is usually fairly um, easy for me because like mm-hmm. I have such a clear idea of what i want to happen when i want it to happen hmm. um so like it's like oh it's this this scene or this sequel to that big moment um and but then like i have this uh trilogy a seven point of view characters with intertwining plots that required a very detailed chapter by chapter outline um so i have a spreadsheet a color coded spreadsheet of wow. for each book So that made the revision process in terms of like, okay, when does this, um, like, what are the men? And then it's like command F, like what is this phrase that I want to come back to? And then, all right, this is the detail I need to add around that. Um, That, and then also just like a lot of rereading it. You know what I mean? So much rereading it. Um, And I definitely like, I I think the, there's no, okay, the way I describe it to new writers is you are investing the time no matter how you slice it. You're either doing it pre-draft, in-draft, or Mm -hmm. post-draft. I I like to spend my work on the fringes. I want to do it in the beginning, I want to do it at the end. While I'm drafting, I really just want to get through it. I want to mm. get through it and I want to get through it quickly as like, cause it, 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 it feels the most, um, like that's where it feels like there's the most pressure to me. I don't know why I feel like I can pop in and pop out of plotting. I can pop in and pop out of revising, but from a creative standpoint, I find it really hard to switch on and switch off that part of my brain.
2: Mm-hmm. If, does
1: that make sense? Yeah so um the uh you mentioned uh, i wanted to touch on this because you mentioned um like when new authors kind of see like 10 years oh my god like i'm I'm struggling to finish my first and i have this many more um this i i had um there was a person she does webinars um she runs a like um self-publishing service company so like if you need you know, X, Y, or Z, whether it's a, you know, a launch team or a, you know, editing or um, book coaching to kind of help structure or, or actually write, yada, yada, yada. Um, but anyway, um, her, she, she gave me this tidbit that's been really helpful for me. And I share it with anyone who will listen because um, it was a real game changer, but this concept of writing an author mission statement um, was a, like a light switch for me because for me i had that same exact notion in my head like there's an identity crisis of i write epic fantasy novels but i don't have any finished so what am i who am i what is the point of this i'm never so then it like that macro view of the process i needed to to almost divorce myself of that and just like zoom in on like the day-to-day the week-to-week and it became. I work towards like the, I'm an author mission statement was I work towards writing epic fantasy novels by investing my, my thing is 5,000 words a week or 10 hours a week on my writing. And if I do that, I get the like, okay, that's the identity now. So check, I got it. Check. I got it. And I picked numbers that were feasible for me. Um, so when I was writing book two and three, because i had that i was writing closer to 12 to 15k a week Mm -hmm. um but just by having these little benchmarks i got like kind of hooked on it um because who doesn't love the dopamine of checking boxes and like succeeding in what you set out to do um and the converse goes as well like conversely if you have this idea of i write big epic fantasy novels and i'm not finishing any of them that's pretty demoralizing Mm -hmm. um so breaking it down into bite-sized chunks that you can build a little momentum. Um, for me, that was really helpful. So I, I, for, for those people who are starting out and, and trying to figure out like, who am I, what is my role? Try writing an author mission statement, see if that helps you get, um, bite-sized chunks that build up to the big, big goal that you have.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that's an excellent tip. I have never done anything like that before, but I can see it would be very helpful. Um, I just, my, my writing is just quite different from you. And, you know, you said it was easy for you to go back and know where to add or change things. Um, I'm a very, very heavy discovery writer or panther. So on the very opposite side of the spectrum, it is very frequent for me to come back and read something and completely forgot. Oh, I don't even remember writing this. So I, 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 in fact, I'm going through. I have a writer's group right now. We're going through one of my epic fantasies. I think it's like 169,000 words or something. And I'm constantly surprised because I don't have time before I send it to the reading group to come back and read it. And so they'll come and be like, oh, when this happened, this happened. I was like, I don't even remember that. I'm like, that's cool. Like, great. Good for me <laughs> that that happened. So it's just, it's funny. And I think, you know, but for me, the drafting, I love drafting so much. It's so fun. I love just the writing it out long form. This is why my books end up longer because I just add so much stuff into it. And the details are easier to remember in the writing moment. But Mm -hmm. yeah, post, you know, it's kind of like done, out of mind, next story. So it's just, it's just funny how different um, everyone can be successful, you know, wherever you are. Yeah. So
1: I think it's really cool, though, that like, um, and this is why, right? Like, you find like uh, co-authors coming together who enjoy different parts of it. Um, I I said all the time, my in like my writing group, I'd be like, I would love you come to me with an idea, I help flesh out the idea, and then you write it, and I never want to, I don't, don't want to see it again until it's a finished product. I would love that level of. Um, like not having to draft, but now that I've done it a couple of times, it's like the drafting isn't as like overwhelming or isn't yeah. as scary. And I'm finding more joy in it. Um, do you find yourself like, like, at, I mean, how many books do you have in your, in your not discography, your bibliography, <laughs> like how, how many, how many books are on your backlist at this point?
0: who publish or including published and non-published stuff. Yeah, both. Both. So I published five. I have three that will be published in a couple of weeks. weeks. Um, and then I have two fully written that I'm too afraid to edit. So I've just started writing another. So I'm about a third of the way through another book. So there's a, there's always a lot going on. But when I find myself in the editing stage for way too long, it frustrates me. You know, I get really mm-hmm. antsy. I get kind of grumpy because I just I need to create something. So, you know, I would love it would be nice to say okay work with someone who loves editing great i'll draft this thing and just hand it off and say okay have fun let me know when yeah it's here's my vision
1: for it here's my vision for it. follow through i'll see it on my well, put it on my shelf we, when it's done
0: we can learn to like I, i've appreciated the editing process a little bit more but i think a lot of my frustration with it comes to my lack of or- organization so mm. You know it's 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 hard to discipline myself to or i can i do reverse outlines you know after i've written it that helps i'll go through chapter by chapter and then write okay this is what happened this is where we ended up and just make sure everything kind of aligns together but i can't pre-plot it stunts my creativity so
1: yeah yeah but like so even with the reverse plotting though um that like has that helped your editing process or Is it kind of like, I still hate it?
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I I generally reverse plot it and don't identify any problems with it, if that makes Mm. sense. And so not that there aren't problems, you know, a development editor can get to be like, oh, actually there's this, this, and this. Um, I actually don't generally have a lot of problems with, with story, interestingly. So I'm curious to pick your brain on this because it seems like you um, you know, you were able to workshop your story and make it more tight. Where I struggle is the actual like phrasing and word usage because I will write things all the time that make absolute sense to me. And the editor's like, I'm confused. And it's like, I'm confused how you're confused because it makes sense to me. So that's that's the tricky part. I don't generally have developmental problems with my stories, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting so yeah um,
1: um so like in terms of when you say you want to pick uh in terms of the like you're saying you understand like when you free um you discovery right like story is ingrained in us like for the most part you consume enough of it you start recognizing you know the parts of it that are important and mm-hmm. the parts of it that are kind of superfluous um and I think like Stephen King's a perfect example, right? Like Stephen King um, is a a discovery writer, a panster, um, but he understands story to the point that he knows how to hook you and keep you hooked and um, and satisfy like the genre conventions that, of the stories he's writing. So um, when we look at story structure for the the biggest thing is you're, you're setting a subliminal promise within the first 10% that you're going to deliver on in the last
2: 10%.
1: Give or take doesn't have to be 10, but for the most part, those are like the benchmarks. Um, If you have like a more episodically structured story where um, it kind of goes from like, I'll give an example. I'll use the poppy war. I'm not finished it. I'm reading the poppy war for the first time. Now, my wife and I are buddy reading it. Um, and yeah, it's been super cool. Like, uh, cause the way I read and consume stories so different from the way she does. Um, so when we talk about it, it's really interesting, but, um, the, the novel is paced and structured in a very episodic way where, um, almost each chapter has its overarching thing and then it starts a new one. So it almost like reads more like a TV show Interesting. where, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah where the overarching plot exists it's there but it's not um the, like the subliminal messaging of what's going to happen is very very deeply rooted if it's there and the reason why i say i don't know is because i haven't finished it to like backfill and go ah this is what they were saying and here's where it was really talking about so it's almost like oh, we'll see um but i think when um you get into the meta details of your story like well this was the inciting incident and like that doesn't work for some people like they cannot see that in their own story and I do think it's harder to see it in your own than it is to see it in other works Hmm. um you almost have to like if you want to engage with that that muscle you have to do it elsewhere first and then take it and apply it to your own. Um, so looking at, well, what are your favorite stories? What did you love about those stories? What inspired you? What stays with you about those stories? Um, and you'll find that they generally have, um, things that resonate for you and then you end up recreating them in some way, shape or form. So we are, um, like, that's just how the human brain works. It's, it's very efficient to take something we understand and add to it than it is to build it from scratch. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think like, like, what are some of your favorites that have like, like have a special place in your heart that stick with you, even though you haven't read it in 20 years, you know what I mean? In terms of books that I've read? Books, movies, any, any type Ah. of story.
0: Yeah, I mean I can't think of movies. I haven't watched movies in a long time, ever since yeah. <laughs> my wife's not a huge movie person. And since we had kids and gotten the homestead, there's just not a lot of time for that. But books, wise. Sure. I mean, obviously, some of my favorite books are clearly by Brandon Sanderson. Um, I do like the Mistborn series, the first, the first half. Second half is okay. I didn't love it as much. But um, I really do like books by Tamara Pierce. They're mm-hmm. kids from my child or books from my childhood. I really got sucked into those and enjoyed those. You know, Ink Heart, that book from like my childhood sure. still sticks with me. I love it. Um, I'm trying to think of any of the other books. I I don't own a lot of books. I read a lot of books as a kid. Um, I do like to reread when I remember them, but those mm-hmm. are the ones that come to mind. Um, what are some sure. of the favorite books you've read that stuck with you?
1: Um, Mistborn, especially that the first era that um will always have a special place in my heart. Um, I it's one of those stories I will never stop recommending. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. and even brandon sanderson he, he he's the first to say like these stories are flawed they have issues um i was trying to write to you know what was trending and what was trending at the time in fantasy was the grim dark
2: mm-hmm. uh
1: game of thrones uh aftermath and um you can tell like in his writing since the tonality has certainly changed and become more his yeah. own especially with like stormlight so it's but when you look at the uh the elements like of mistborn there are so many ornaments so i like to describe it as like a christmas tree Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: we have a tree the tree is the foundation and you can dress it up kind of however you want so it's not because um they you know the the sky is red and ash rains from the sky that's not why people love this story is it part of it sure is it that people ingest metals no is it that pe- it's it's the way the characters engage with the world it mm-hmm. is the magic system for sure but even the magic system to a degree is ornamental it just so happens that the ornament is fits the tree so well Mm -hmm. like the size shape color angle at which it's at spacing everything about it really just works and that's the case with a lot of his work that the character the world building the themes that you can't take one and extrapolate it you can't take one excise it and then extrapolate out like they are greater than the sum of their parts but Mm -hmm. from a structural standpoint um book one is a heist it has it follows the same archetypical heist uh line as any other but why do we love it more than any other heist It's all the ornaments coming together and fitting in a cathartic way mm-hmm. and then the ending people I know people who hate the ending um I think the ending is the most beautiful thing I've ever read um and it slapped me like lines mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I definitely think Mistborn's one that, uh, will always stick with me, um, of, of late, uh, the Red Rising series, um, has been, uh, a favorite of mine. I've, I've reread it. I reread it earlier this year, um, ahead of the, the sixth book that just came out in July. Um, those stories always resonated with me and were, um, big inspirations into, um, you know, the writing of my book, just in terms of uh, because my book is very heavily influenced by um, the Spartacus's rebellion from Rome. Oh, so, um, Red Rising has a very similar type of um, you know, we are going to fight for the oppressed, and mm-hmm. that those types of themes always really resonate with me. It has nothing to do with story structure, it's just that thematically there's something in story that we kind of gravitate onto we hook onto it and then it we impart it into our own work and i think if you like tamora pierce also has very like her novels are like very tight um in terms of like there's nothing wasted there is no page space that like oh we didn't really need that so when you when you read and you consume stories like that you're less likely to right ones that have superfluous detail of like you know this random subplot that never gets folded back into the mix you know what i mean like you're you consume it in such a way that you recreate it in such a way um and i think that even if you don't have the meta details you don't know what to call a certain thing because you consume it you understand it Mm -hmm. here even if you can't express it out here you know
0: absolutely well i I definitely agree with all that you're saying i think that really comes down to the intuition piece of whether you're a plotter or a discovery writer right there's you know the inputs that you have from stories you know books movies tv shows that you've been ingesting i know what my preference is you know i would i know what types of books keep my interest and so those are the types of books i write you know the the ones that keep my interest but it is interesting right to to hear a kind of an analysis of some of these more famous books, because I think there's a lot of authors that maybe overthink it. You know, as authors, because we have a lot of times with our heads. You know, in your case, you know, you've been working on the series for ten years. There's lots of potential to overthink things, right? I mean, the, and it's not. And I'm not saying that happened, but there's a potential for it. I think there's a lot of people that work on their books for so long. You know, three, or five years, and they just keep changing things that. There's multiple good ways. It's like, you know, they were both good. You know, you didn't have to keep changing. It was already good. And you just change it from one good to another good. I think authors need to accept that and stop.
1: <laughs> stop. Forgetting. Yes. Um, and you even use the same words I use um with with my writing group, with my coaching, like, don't replace good with good. Mm-hmm. Just because it's fresh for you doesn't mean like you think it's better because it's new. Mm-hmm. But you've been working on it for X amount of time. A yep. reader coming in blind might even choose that first one mm-hmm. over this new one. So I couldn't agree more. Um, there is a, um, there is a danger of tinkering.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you um when 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 you convince yourself that something's wrong with your story, but you don't know what it is, that's where, like, you, you're going to do, ima- ima- treat it like a doctor. Imagine if you went, doctor, I'm hurt. And he just went, well, let's cut you open. Let's figure out what's going on. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would, that would be terrible. But that's how a lot of newbie writers apply their editing phase. My story isn't working. So I don't know what's wrong. I just need to fix all of it. And that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. Um very um, often that's where developmental editors can be so impactful of being like this is what's working this is not this is what's not jiving this is what's not working um because like but they're not all created equally like in anything right so um it's finding someone who shares your artistic vision for your project because you can have someone who like they're very talented they're highly um you know recommended there have all these accolades but if you don't share the same creative vision you might be replacing good with bad because it's not it's not true to you and what you want to tell um
0: one well, genre yeah alignment.
1: definitely saying so i'm make
0: sure, in genre alignment is why well, i don't mean to interrupt because i know there's a bunch of people that found developmental editors that don't read in the same genre it's just like well that's not helpful you need a developmental editor that knows the genre you're writing in otherwise it's just going to be off base
1: i'd almost say like it's even better if they are specifically in your genre (laughs) especially if you yeah if you if you write like if if you write fantasy you want someone who reads fantasy Mm -hmm. um you don't want someone who's used to reading like the only thing they read is thrillers and mysteries because they're going to say your pacing is is wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. because by by their the way they've consumed stories it is it's wrong that's
2: true <laughs> but that yeah. doesn't
1: make it wrong uh if anything um you will uh not meet the genre conventions of the people who actually want your story
2: right
1: so um yeah finding someone who shares your artistic vision is not easy um but it's so important and it's even an editorial assessment not like by a developmental editor. It's just like, what, what are the takeaways that you're getting from this manuscript? Um, to like get a little bit of an idea of, well, what's not working? You wouldn't go, I have, once again, using my, my, my arm hurts. Well, let's chop it off and inspect it and see what's wrong with it. That <laughs> uh, would be a really inefficient way of going about it. Um, so assess, address, apply.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Assess what's wrong with it. Address what's wrong with it integrate it back in iron out the wrinkles and the ripple effects so that's uh a skill in and of itself
0: absolutely i love i love taking all of these things because i think there's a lot of things that like i said newer authors have never considered um because i remember i remember being in that phase you know a new author you just have this story and i loved how earlier you said i finished my book and i was like now what uh <laughs> i i had the now what phase for an entire year i didn't i My wife is like, you've sat on that book for a year. Are you going to do anything with it? I was like, because I probably should. I just don't know what to do with it. So it's hearing this conversation, I hope is enlightening and encouraging to newer authors to know that, you know, you don't have to sit on something. There are actions you can take, but you also don't have to overdo it. You know, at some point, uh, I'm just going to use this as an example because I I have I actually co-authored. So you, you're talking about co-authoring. It's a fun experience, by the way. I absolutely recommend it. It was a blast. But we have three middle grade books that are coming out at the end of this month that we co-authored. And I was talking to my co-author last week and she was just like, do you think we need another round of edits? And I was just like, no. Cause it's, it's hard. It's good enough. Like we've edited, we've had a few editors look at it and it's to the point where I think it's excellent. Now, are we, is there, if you send it to a different editor, they're always going to find something because every editor is different, right?
1: That's their job too. That's like their job. Yeah. If you sent it to a new editor and they came back with nothing, You'd be like, can I my money back then? Like, right, you know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They're going to find something wrong with it.
0: And so we we're just like, no, it's time. This is a fun story. And middle grade readers are going to love it. Uh, the mistakes have been weeded out. You know, we just need like a final copy edit. But developmentally wise, line edit wise, it's in a good place. So you just have to make that, de- that decision. And it's hard. But once you do, then you can move on and write something else. Which, yeah. which is so fun.
1: But that so. you you it is hard because um I also think like we're creatives. We want the pat on the back. We want right. that like stamp of approval. Um And this was something that I personally definitely struggled with where it was like, OK, I did what you said. Is it good now? I did what you said. Is it good now? And of course, like you're saying, the same editor came back and was like, well, you could do this like you just get under a tighter and tighter microscope yeah Yeah, you're going to find stuff and you could go back and forth in this process at nauseam for infinity you just keep going you know what i mean um because once again we create we're going to keep creating even even if it's just go fix this little thing but it's like oh well if i'm fixing this what if what if i do this once you engage that part of your brain, you're opening (laughs) up a can of worms. So I, I I think it takes a maturity and a, um, like a, a maturity and a, a faith in your own stewardship, like in your own discernment that like, nope, this is not like more is not better for this story. Like that, that takes experience to know how best to steward your baby. Cause at that point it's, it's a baby.
0: Mm-hmm. It's true.
1: You have to take care of it.
0: Yep, absolutely. And <clears throat> I know, I, just, I love I, I love this part of the conversation because I think this is where a lot of people are stopped up. I it, Coincidentally, part of how I got into writing was there was an author who had been working on a coworker of mine had been working on her book for eight years. Um, and she, you know, she challenged me, hey, sit down and just write something. It's like, all right, cool. So I just sat down and wrote something that ended up being the prologue of my trilogy. Uh, well, I ended up publishing three books before she even published her first. And we were talking about it and she was just like, what happened? Like you were too afraid to get started writing and I'd been working on this book forever. And it really came down to this. You know, it really came down to overthinking, overdoing it because I read her book and I was like, this is awesome. I would publish this tomorrow. But then she continued to work on it for like another year and a half, two years. Because there were just more problems. It's like I don't, I don't really think there were. I think it was good. It was excellent the way it was. So have and confidence. And that's the other
2: thing.
1: I think like there is a degree. Your favorite stories. Once again, we talked about Miss Born. A shared love for Miss Born. Brandon Sanderson will say it's not perfect. It's not even near it. it. It There, there are things I wish I could would have done differently. Had I gone back. every so many people it it changed their lives did it, it, it impacted them in such powerful ways mm-hmm. i think to a degree you wanting to keep it for yourself and continue tinkering on it at what point does it become selfish
0: that's true no that's true and you i can know. say that
1: from my own experience like i was like i'm just being selfish at this point
0: part of the reason i stopped was because of my intense dislike for editing <laughs> That's
1: what ultimately the just like. I can't do this anymore.
0: <laughs> but the you know I think what you, I just want to point something out to someone who's listening. You know who might be working on something and they're doubting or whatever. You have to remember that your readers are not always writers, and they're they're usually not reading with a writer's brain. Now that is relevant because when it's your book, it's almost impossible to read it from a reader's brain because you are the writer. You have the power to edit it, and so. You know, this is part of the reason I love writing first drafts and then leaving them for six to eight months because I just forget. I literally forget about everything. I come back and I'm forced to read it as a reader because I don't remember what's happening. And it feels good to be like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I'm discovering things. I'm remembering things that I did. And so – if you, if you don't space yourself from it, you you have to accept that you're, you're the writer, you're not the reader. Your readers aren't going to notice these problems. You know, it may not be for everybody. Everyone has their own preferences, but that's okay. The readers who love your book, aren't going to notice any problems. I didn't, I don't see any problems in Mistborn. I read it every time. I've reread it multiple times and I've never noticed any problems with it. I just like it. So it's kind of funny. So it's just about perspective and everything. So in any case, so your your next books, uh, I want to jump back to your books. Your first book came out in June, correct? The next one you're getting proofs for, which means publishing sometime this month or December. Is that when we can expect it? So
1: even though (laughs) this is where things got a little wonky. Um, So um, even though it was, this is like a a well-kept secret. Um, Even though it was uploaded to Amazon back in June, the original launch date was supposed to be August 8th. Okay then i so like it was up just so we could get the proofs make sure everything was good um then august 8th uh, as it was getting near i was like i actually want to do more because once again this is me perfectionist and tinkering um but i was just doing it on the not on the book was done but i was doing it on i want to reach out to um i want to reach out i want to do some more like pr stuff i want to um, create a press kit I want to reach out to some different outlets and I need a little time to do those sorts of things I want to make a uh, like a book box I want to you mm. know so then it ended up getting pushed until um just the other week so october 24th we did like the big launch so october 24th was um my the the, the date in my head that of when the book came out because that's when I started telling people hey it's out um But, yeah, so the book two is scheduled for, um, uh, I want to say it's January 23rd. It's whatever that Tuesday is. Uh, And then um, book three will come out April 16th, uh, like around mid to late April.
0: Perfect. Now, I'm glad you explained that because I was looking at things. I I swear he just launched this at the end of October, but Amazon is saying June. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I don't think it was June, but could be crazy. So
1: yeah, Funny. it wasn't June. Like that. It's, it's just deal. that's one. Yeah. So, and it doesn't let you one of the many, um, one that's... of the many things with Amazon, you, you abide by their rules absolutely in all ways. <laughs> so that's <laughs> what it says.
0: Yep. We, I know exactly how that is all the fun aspects of it, but I think that's awesome. I I, I haven't had a chance to read your book yet. I've seen it. It's on my massive TBR Um, that eventually I'll read through. But I appreciate you talking through some of these things. It was a really insightful conversation. Before we end here, I always love to ask, where can people find more information about you and your books?
1: Uh, so on TikTok that's where I'm most like like if you want to engage with me that's the the best place to find me. I do have an Instagram I barely know how to use it. Um but I, <laughs> I'm I'm trying. It's just another thing I have to learn. Um but uh I have uh, my website timfasciola.com um that has um you know all my projects will be there. Um getting in touch with me whether it's uh I have A couple different avenues for uh for people whether so if it's you want to get into writing um i have a i have a course and a a discord server where uh we create a community where people can kind of learn story craft and write together uh it is fantasy and sci-fi specific uh that's the only caveat Mm. um that is first torch books um, if you search first torch books, that's my publishing company. Um, that's where you can find um, information about that. And then um, my uh, fitness side of things, I have what's called gladiator training, which nice. is, uh, okay. you know, based on the book kind of sort. <laughs> so um, that's like, you yeah, find You can reach out to me anyway, and which and I'll teach you how to swing swords and maces and clubs and all sorts of fun fun stuff that'll probably get weird looks from you in public
0: all the right things then of course. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here for. Come to accept my nerdiness, geekiness, whatever you want to call it. Um, love it. It's, it's, I, I love every piece of it. The last thing I will say is you do fantasy authoring coaching as well. Is that yes for first torch? So there's on the links that you provided. I'll make sure they're in the show notes. So if you're interested in coaching, Tim does coaching. So um, yeah, I think that's excellent. An excellent thing to point out in case anybody's looking for that. So, well, thanks again for your time. This has been an amazing conversation.
1: Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. This was great.
0: I hope you found that insightful and interesting. Tim is a very positive person. I appreciate the perspective and insight that he had or that he brought of his experience in writing this story for so long. There's definitely lots of pros and cons to be writing a story for so long. I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> I think my my inability to focus on something for a long period of time would prevent me from writing a story for, for that long. Still, I commend him. I haven't had a chance to read his book, but I definitely want to. It looks incredible. Um, and I know that I would enjoy it based. It's just it's right up the alley of the types of books I would like to read. So I will be diving into that at some point. Next week, we'll be talking to Jill Scheuer about her book, How to Handle Tough Conversations. We talk a lot about the nonfiction publishing learning curve. So um, this is her first book that she's published. We talk a lot about the challenges with writing nonfiction, organizing nonfiction, and getting everything put together. And then of course, marketing that. Now, I don't have a lot of nonfiction writing experience, exactly zero, to be frank. But hearing her perspective on getting into the nonfiction writing game is very insightful. And it's helpful for those of us who maybe have ideas around nonfiction, if you're one of these people who are thinking, I, I think I have some ideas for nonfiction stories, or not stories, nonfiction ideals, or, or, um, I guess, help helpful information, this might be a really good interview for you to listen to, because Jill is very positive. She, she talks a lot about that experience. And, you know, there's some really great ideas that I even took from it for my fiction writing business and in the case you want to tune into that next week of course if you like this podcast like and share it with your friends and family other authors who are looking for positivity if you'd like to join me on the podcast you can head to the com. there you can fill out the pitch form or just email me directly at dkenner at uh, excuse me that is the wrong email address <laughs> this is what you get for having so many different emails authordkenner at gmail.com. I almost give you my work email address, which you're welcome to email me at that as well. More than likely, I'll just get mixed in with the thousands of other emails I get and you won't get what you're looking for. So authordkenner at gmail.com is your best bet. Regardless, thank you again for joining me today and I look forward to talking to you next week. Bye.